First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians 1, 3, and it says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Beautiful passage. He says, your faith grows, and it grows exceedingly, and the love of you abounds towards one another. So uh, it's a beautiful thing when faith is growing and love is also growing. Amen? A good marriage requires faith in each other, but love to grow, right? A good, healthy relationship in the body of Christ requires faith, a common faith, that's growing, but also that our love is growing. Then turn over to Nehemiah chapter 3. I have the advantage that I'm already marked there. So Nehemiah chapter 3. And I'll pick it up with verse 12. One of my favorite verses there because I have all girls, so I like this passage. I could have picked others in the same chapter that would uh, suffice, but, um, but since I'm doing the teaching, I picked the one that relates directly to my situation. So... Um, Nehemiah chapter 3, and next to him was Shalom, the son of Holahesh, leader of the house of the, half of the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. See that, ladies? You can wear tool belts. See that? You can do it. You can fix the car, all that good stuff. And his daughter, he and his daughters made repairs. Verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zona, uh, Zeno, Zeno uh, repaired the valley gate, and they built it and hung its doors with bolts and bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Um, it goes on down, and, and you can continue to reading, reading, but what happens is each of the gates, you remember back to our Nehemiah study, uh, different people were working on different sections, and so different skills, different sections, different families, but one common mission, one common goal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning. Just for your word, Lord, we're not, we're not here to come up with our own theories. We're here to follow the instructions and wisdom of the living God and his son Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, spiritually speaking. Lord, you'd remove every distraction. You'd just remove the enemy from snatching away what you want to do. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me, remove any of my own distractions. Lord, that I would hear clearly and speak clearly the words that you've given in your word and in preparation. Lord, I pray that you would change lives today, that we would leave here more in love with Jesus and more committed to loving one another. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So faith and teamwork, we see both all throughout the scriptures. In some instances, they're inseparable because the call of faith is sometimes given to a couple. My teammate is at home sick today. And some of you have a couple, and you've been called to faith together. Sometimes it's to a family. Sometimes it's a tribe. Sometimes it's a nation. Sometimes a team, if you will. There's not teams in the Bible, but we see teaming, if that makes sense. Abraham and Sarah, take them. They followed God. They moved to a new place. They prepared for a long time for a son that would not come. It required a lot of faith, didn't it? And they walked that path together. 
Moses, well, he starts with Aaron and decides, I'm not a good speaker. And let Aaron do the speaking. A division of responsibilities. But eventually, they co-lead. Moses is clearly the leader, but he has Aaron as the high priest. And later, Joshua, Aaron, her, and later the elders. They divide the responsibilities. So it's not just on Moses. Naomi and Ruth, they took steps of faith, clinging together. Then they agreed on, and they orchestrated a plan. It was actually directed by God. It really wasn't their plan. They just got it from God. David and his mighty men, perhaps the first special forces the world has ever seen. They were amazing. They were able to do what forces ten times their size could not do. Elijah, he taught Elisha how to walk in faith and in victory, and together they trained numerous other disciples. Nehemiah, we just read, he galvanized a group of surrendered men and women to accomplish in 52 days what had languished in years of state of ill repair, rubble. Then along comes Jesus 2,000 years ago. He comes and calls 12 ordinary dudes, 12 ordinary guys, in some cases less than ordinary, from various walks of lives. And he builds them into men of faith, apostles, that would shape the known world and beyond with the message of the gospel. He taught them the importance of two-by-two ministry, two-by-two, going out in twos, going out in teams. And what Christ established 2,000 years ago is necessary, is as necessary today as when he delivered. Do Do you believe that? just as necessary now. And if it's followed, it will be as effective, we saw that in the verse, it will be just as effective in us personally and in the church as a family as it was in the early church that flourished by the power of the Holy Spirit. has to be activated by the Holy Spirit, amen? It can't just be, oh, I just follow this. There has to be an activation of the Spirit. Do you believe that? If you're taking notes this morning, be light. And we're looking at steps of faith and strategic teamwork. Strategic teamwork. A couple weeks back, I shared this passage from Romans. I'll put it up again. And when you look at this, uh, as it relates to the gospel and our conversion, remember we talked about our, our being disciples is a life of faith, to live by faith. Every week requires faith. Every week. The more you serve Jesus, the more you have to grow in faith. Always requires faith. The just are going to live by faith. The just means the justified. Have you been justified? Have you been born again? If you've been justified by Christ, you now have been called to live by faith. You're not called to live by what is on your paycheck what company you work for, what you think is going to make you happy. No, you say, this is what God says will work. This is what God says will give me joy. I live by that. You're here today. You could have been all kinds of places today. You're here by faith. You're here by faith. And so with those truths in mind, let's take a look at our two discipleship we statements this morning, number 9 and 10 in our list. The first one, we take bold and sometimes 
new steps of faith. Now, this is a we statement because this is for Calvary Chapel Richmond collectively, but also it's applicable to you personally. We believe that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and faith. As we take steps that are fully dependent on his word, guidance, and provision, and so we try new things while trusting God, unafraid of small beginnings and messy middles as we wait upon his excellent ending. Now, I got some of these words from Pastor Troy up in Lynchburg, and I love them so much. I said, dude, I got to use some of that. That's good stuff. And number 10, we work strategically as a unified team. We believe that just as Jesus has called us into a family, that he began the work of ministry with a team of 12. He sent the disciples in groups of two. If there is value, harmony, wisdom, and strength in the building of strong teams as part of a unified team that love and support one another. Those are two statements that we're looking at, that we're examining and, and walking through this morning. Let's take a look at the um, first one. You know, understand that, um, let me say this up front, don't get immediately scared off by the words bold and new. Immediately. I mean, just, just let them digest before you kind of run and hide from those words. We'll always have to take first the basic and the necessary steps, the daily steps, which will never stop in your, in your lifetime before we can take the bold and new. If you're not taking the current basics, you, you won't be able to take the bold and the new. In other words, you have to be in the Word. You have to be in prayer. Those things have to be done daily. Let me give an example. Uh, the scriptures say this, that six days we are to work. The seventh day was, was meant for what? Rest. The seventh day was rest. And ultimately, under the law, it was given to rest and to worship God and spend it in reflection. With the resurrection of Jesus, many continued to work, worship on the Sabbath. Many Jewish people still worship on the Sabbath. But with the liberty of the new covenant... And many Gentile believers began to worship on the first day of the week, and they would make that their day of rest, and, and it would be in concert with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on what? The first day of the week. That, hence, it's now called the Lord's Day. You're, you're familiar with that. The Lord's Day is Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. But nevertheless, there was a day of rest. But all the true worshipers, genuine disciples, believe what Hebrews 10 25 tells us they did then and they should now, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So by faith, one of the first things that almost all new believers do, and I've seen it, I've seen, I look out here, I see some of you that I, saw, I see your face and I know you got saved right here at this church. And I know before, you didn't go to church. You didn't want to go to church. Now, one of the first things new believers do is they start going to church. Not to get saved, but because they are saved. Not to earn God's favor, because, no, but because they found God's favor. It's one of the basics of the life of faith. But even years later, guess what? Weekly gatherings of faith are still required. I still need to keep going years from later. That, years from now, I need to still keep going. That's not a bold new step. That's a continuous step. It's just like the word and prayer. They're not replaced in our life any more than water and breathing. 
They're elements of faith that are maintained through our life. But they are steps of faith that have to keep being taken day after day after day. No one's going to read your Bible for you. You will have to do it. I will have to do it. And yet we can still grow in this essential area, go back to going to church, that, that, that new step of faith and a new believer starts saying, I'm going to go to church now. I'm going to invest in that weekly gathering. But we can even grow in that. You may now begin to take notes. It's okay. It's not just for ladies, guys. You can take notes. We should start to retain a little bit more. We should start to really spiritually become in tune, and we can retain a little bit more. We should start to apply more, that we actually find ourselves on a Tuesday saying, I need to apply that in my life. By the way, things I preach, I preach to myself way more than I preach them to you. I'm I'm reapplying. God says, "Uh, now that you preach that, you get to go through that, or vice versa, or then I get before or after. But an act of faith is a living faith. An act of faith is a living faith uh, that does, in fact, lead to new steps that take some spirit-given courage and commitment and boldness. So, for example, the person coming by faith to be fed, and you, you, come and you, you come to be fed and ministered to on a Sunday or perhaps a Wednesday, matures, and then they begin to take new steps. Instead of just being fed, they want to feed and minister to other people like little people, or your same size people, well, whatever, you're going, to, you're going to start to minister and meet the needs of others. That step of saying, I think I'm going to be the worst children's ministry teacher ever, but if God is sending me, I can do all, yet not I, but Christ in me, I can go, and I just might be pleasantly surprised then I do a whole lot better than I thought I would. Isn't that true of everything in life? How many of your parents have encouraged your kids when you heard them say, I can't do that? And you had to tell them, even though you didn't even want to do it either. Oh, no, you're going to do great at that. You can do this. You had to build them up in encouragement. Encourage means to give courage, to exhort. And Jesus is exhorting us to take those steps. It's that, it's that step of saying, well, I can't relate to the kids at Bonaire. There's no way I'll be able to relate to them. Well, you can't, but Jesus can. Amen. He can relate to anybody. That step of saying, I'm afraid to share my faith, but I can at least invite someone to church. It's a step. It's a step in the right direction. I remember when our daughters, uh, the, uh, we have three, but when two of them were both under the age of four, and we had this routine that was working really well. With me getting home from work, I wasn't in the ministry then. I was still working in corporate America. We, I, I, I had my routine of getting home and, and dinner and bedtime. And Warning, sometimes God will mess up your routines. <laughs> Just a fair warning out there. Uh, he, he actually is good with your routines for a while, but then after a while he likes to shake them up. It's a time to move to a different route. Because routines are not a bad thing. But God will eventually say, all right, Paul, that routine's over. It's time for this one. Moses, that one's over. David, that one's over. So just a fair warning to you on that. But uh, So we didn't go on Wednesday nights. We didn't go to Wednesday night service. Now, I'm not saying if you can't come Wednesday night, you're not the spiritual people. I'm not saying that. There's people that can. There's people that can't. We actually could, but thought we couldn't. 
So we didn't go on Wednesday nights. Uh, but some, someone who was friends with us says, why don't you come out on Wednesday nights? Because uh, before we had kids, we used to go. We got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. Before we had kids, if we didn't work or we didn't have classes or then when we were young in our careers and stuff, we would go on Wednesday nights about three out of every four. There was times where we couldn't, but mostly before we had kids. And then so they said, why don't you all come out anyway? And you remember we have two under the age of four, and my wife explained the whole routine to this other individual. And then she received the dreaded, have you prayed about it? <laughs> the dreaded, have you prayed about it? It's, it? It'll refute almost anything. You know, it's like, let me just pull that one out. Boom, have you prayed about it? You know? <laughs> so we had not prayed about it. We had thought we had a routine that was structured. It was logical. It made sense. It was working. We were getting rest. The kids were getting rest. What do you mean, have you, we prayed about it? This works. <laughs> and by the way, we weren't offended by the question because it really was asked in love. And don't be offended when people ask you. If, if mature believers that love you say, have you prayed about it? Don't get all offended by it. Especially if you haven't prayed about it, you should get mad at God at that point. Well, you shouldn't get mad at God, but you get the point. The question's coming from the Lord to you via a person. But we weren't offended, and we started praying about it, and God said to do it. And it didn't work well at first. Our routine was all jumbled. It was not working well, and we were, sleep patterns were off. And it took, it took a few months to, to get it right. But God smoothed all that out. And we really did grow in the Lord in new ways. And we took new steps. We, those were small lessons to learn, but, but we realized that it really applied to everything. That there was lots of other times where God said, do this. Yeah, that's going to mess up your routine. Yeah, it's going to be this. But it's going to be for your good. It will cause you to become more close to the Lord, more dependent on the Lord, and more reflecting of the Lord in your life. But uh, a life of faith and new steps of faith, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. The seasons of our lives will require a growing faith, and the Lord will call us to new needs that need to be met. And sometimes needs are new. A need can arise that wasn't there before in your family. Those of you that are dealing with aging parents, that's a new need. You know, there's new needs that arise in the church. There's new needs that arise in our lives and people that God's put in our life, and God says, and you're able to meet this, and you need to take that challenge and look at it as an opportunity, not drudgery, to say, yes, I, Lord, I can, I can step to that. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I think, Lord, if you have asked me to do it, I can do it. You know, the apostles, they wisely prayed, and this is a good prayer. I pray it all the time. Lord, increase our faith. That was, their, that was their prayer. Not a long, drawn-out prayer. It's not an hour prayer. It's a sincere, simple prayer. Lord, increase our faith, which we're always going to need more faith. Do you know that this world is getting darker and weirder? You're going to need more faith. I'm going to need more faith. We're going to need more spiritual fiber in our muscle tissue that comes through faith. And now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's so we go back. The other previous discipleship thing don't go away. They hold firm and bring us to this tenth area because they're just as important. They're anchoring our faith. But we also see prayer here. Lord, and we're talking, Lord, you're the one that can give us faith. 
Now, we have to exercise faith, but God, if God gives you the faith, now you have to exercise the faith. And he will, and he'll kind of increase the increments in our life. It's, I, I pray this prayer all the time for myself, as well as I pray for the gift of faith, which is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 20. And as we grow in faith, it re always requires, as we grow in faith, it always requires obedience, trust, hope, and courage. Obedience, trust, hope, and courage. Now, obedience is say, Lord, I'm going to do it. Trust is say, Lord, I'm going to believe you'll do it. Hope is a joyful expectation, and courage is saying, the Lord is the wind behind my back. All of those things. And, and God does them, he puts them all in one arrow. They're all on the tip of that one arrow that he puts in our heart, which is a good thing. He's really um, giving us these things that we need. And by the way, just as any steps of faith, um, just as we take any new steps of faith, we will encounter internal opposition and external opposition. Can I get an amen on that? If you take new steps of faith, it will not be without something going against it. In your own flesh, in your own fears, your own insecurities, your own, I can't do this, I failed the other ten times I ever tried, or the external of the enemy. Uh, count on it. If you decide you're going to start spending more time with Jesus in the morning, even like you're going to adjust your routine by like 10, 15 minutes, if you do that and you go to bed earlier, when that alarm goes off, you will not want to get up anymore. Matter of fact, you'll be more heavy than ever before for whatever reason. Now that you've set the compass in a direction, all of a sudden you'll feel like 10,000 pounds. And then you try it again the next night, and your leg hurts. And then you try it the next night, and you get insomnia, which you hadn't had in months. And then the next night, you try it, and the fire alarm goes off. And then the next time you do it, and the phone rings three times a night, sales and marketing, why are they calling it 3 a.m.? I tried to get up early to see Jesus. And then the next time, the kids have an illness in the night. And that's seven days in, so you I'm going to give up. It's only early headwinds, and you get through them, and all of a sudden, it smooths out. But the first steps are always met with opposition. They're always met. Count on it. You'll have it happen. Things will go wrong. You'll get a cold that week. All of it, you have to, as Paul, the snake bit him, he shook it off. You have to ignore it and say, the Bible said, Pastor Tim said, whatever, it, these things will happen. But you'll come through. The fits, the starts, the restarts, because Jesus will give you grace and endurance. Grace and endurance. Grace and endurance. Any, any of you that run or do anything like that, usually you feel worse the first few minutes. You have to get through that. It's the cobwebs you're shaking off. Boxers will talk about it. Athletes will talk about it. They actually feel, once they get the blood going, they get through it. But at first, you just think, I'll never be able to do this. And then after that, you have energy to go for miles. But you've got to take the steps. And we learn to ignore our feelings or our, comf our stay comfy desires. Uh, we ignore the I can'ts, and they become he can. He can. I will. I must. Acts 16, 5. 
tells us, take a look at this passage together. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. The church, churches, plural. The church is more than one church, but also the larger church body. Uh, we, we individually need to grow, but also we collectively, as a, as a church family, as one team, we need to grow in faith and in the faith as a church body. So we, together, we have to take steps of faith. I remember the first time uh, in this body where we took our first foreign mission trip. And myself and Trevor and Patrick were all involved in putting this thing together. Uh, other people had been on mission trips. We'd sent people with other churches, but we organized one. It was our legwork. It was our prayers and all the stuff getting it together and get to Guatemala, which we now go annually. And we've been to some other places as well. But uh, that first one um, where we took that foreign mission trip and and the financial faith, and the passports, and the immunizations, and the airport logistics, and working with the travel agencies, and it was lots of time. We had mistakes, we had bumps, we had learning, but we got through it. And we've grown, and the ministry relationships have now grown, and many of you are really connected to the people and the, the, the ministry down there in Quetzaltenango, and, and so we have seen lives transformed there and here. But we had to take, and we, we skinned our knees a lot. Well, that was a waste. That, that didn't work. You know, that kind of stuff. There was things like that along the way. But we took a huge step of faith this year even. Uh, we started back in August, September. You've heard us mention it, but, we, you know, we don't do a lot of fanfare about it. Uh, but we started this fresh start um, blessing for single moms. It's a significant investment financially. And we have stayed. God's been faithful. We've been doing this for six months now, and we have not suffered loss yet. But we've helped some single moms in a huge way and in a significant way. And we didn't have it in our monthly budget, and we still, quote, don't have it in the monthly budget. And God's making it, the monthly budget work like sandals in the wilderness. I don't know how he's doing it. To pour out love and compassion. But the, the prayer that's been involved, the discipleship that's been involved, the practical help that's been involved, the time investment, I'm talking about a lot of time investment, the meetings with schools and government agencies and paperwork, and most of this has all been behind the scenes because we don't really talk about it much. We're there to minister to people, not put them in a spotlight. But uh, this has mostly been happening behind the scenes. It's just a service of love and support but it's been worth it. All the work, all the hours, all the sometimes that, you know, you take, when you work to build people up, you take on sometimes their issues because you like, you want to see them solved. You want to see lives changed. And uh, it's not just worth it uh, in the ministry, but it's worth it for the moms, the kids. Man, it's worth it for the kids. They're in better places. It's uh, building people's faith that are, yeah, working within the different teams. If I had everyone, I'm not going to do it, but if I had everyone that's serving and has been sharing with, uh, you know, their time and their talents and what they have been doing, if I had them all stand and, and give testimonies of how their faith has grown, you'd be amazed. So I thought it was for the single moms. Well, usually, whatever God sends us to do, he's changing us in the process too. Amen? If you're ministering to people, you get changed by the Lord in the process. 
Spurgeon said, there's three key benefits of what our faith does in us. Take a look at these three. Three key benefits. Uh, one, we come to see God alone is sufficient. We learn that as a church, but we also learn that individually. You have to learn that really God is sufficient. Like, if everyone else was taken away, God is still there. Amen? Number two, true faith in God will make us abundant in good works. Remember, our faith makes us abundant in good works. Our good works didn't make us saved by faith. That's of grace. But once we have saving faith, God produces works in us. Can you imagine if Jesus' life was nothing but just sitting on a stool and never doing anything, going anywhere, doing nothing for nobody? And people say, I thought you were the son of God. I thought you were here to redeem mankind. I don't have time for that. No. His life was about doing the will of the Father. So the works that come forth in our life are because of the faith in us. We're not working for our salvation, but the working out of it. And number three, true faith makes us feel that it's sweet to be a living sacrifice to God and to bear hardship, exercise self-denial, and persevere. Um, only when you take steps of faith can you come to believe, Lord, it feels wonderful to be a living sacrifice. There's, it, it, you can't ex describe it to people. It's a work of the Spirit. Otherwise, they're like, I just want more stuff. I want more of me time. I want more of this. And, more of and Paul had all that before salvation, but he's like, no, no, no. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just give all that stuff up. Self-denial. But it gives us perseverance. None of us like stories about... Um, all of the major stories that people re resonate with people are people that persevered. Not, I want to hear a story about you had the easiest life ever. <laughs> right? I want to hear you, oh, you're, you, you've never had a single trial? I could read that all day. <laughs> it doesn't make any no, There's no movies made about that. And yet that's what everybody's trying to get to. It doesn't work that way. Let's take a look at the next one as we kind of... Uh, our last minutes uh, this morning together, uh, we work strategically as a unified team, and we'll define what this means. Uh, as I said at the outset, our discipleship call to teamwork is visible throughout the scriptures as we saw there with Nehemiah, and we don't have time to go, we did a whole study on Nehemiah and how he was used by God to, to gather the people and the, the organization and the harmony of many hands rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates. Um, uh, they needed the available hands. Remember, the project required, they needed the available hands. I mean, God could have just spoke from heaven and said, bricks, reassemble, gates come up. God could do that. Amen? God can just speak from heaven and all the walls would have gone back. Just like when he told Joshua, circle, the walls come down. He can make the walls down or up. doesn't matter. Just kind of says the word. But, but he's always looking for our growth and our steps forward and our becoming. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one, and he wants to make us just like them. John 17, Jesus' prayer, to make us one the same way the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. So for the project Nehemiah had there, they needed the hands. They needed the varied skills. They needed the anointed leadership. They needed to trust one another, but also to spur and encourage one another. They needed to exhort, but they also needed to resist opposition 
and fatigue. And so you and I need to help each other resist temptation, resist opposition. And when we're tired, you got someone to help hold you up. The rebuilding was a work of the Spirit and a work of the Spirit in unity because everyone was unified in mind and spirit and understanding. But the strategic part was by the Spirit's orchestration. And sometimes people say, is strategy really something? I thought every other strategy is like a business word and all. It shouldn't only be no. Strategy, when you take a look at it, um, you ever seen how detailed God's description of things are, let's say, for the tabernacle? I mean, every little detail. How many hooks? What they're made of? Badger skins? How it has to be dyed? How it has to be every dimension? The same with the ark. The same with the temple. Strategic, God said, this is how it had, the blueprints have to be precise. So there's nothing wrong with strategy as long as our strategy comes from God. When we go making strategy, well, that's man. That's Tower of Babel type stuff. So if the strategy comes from God, it's a good thing. If the strategy comes from us, it's not good. The Antichrist will have quite a strategy, but it'll be a demonic strategy. Whereas we have a strategy of go into all the world and preach the gospel, and here's how I want you to do it kind of strategy. So we follow that. Fast forward, so you see the strategy that took place with Nehemiah, who was given a lot of wisdom. You do these parts of the gates, you do this part, you do this part, division of labor. Fast forward to the life and ministry of Jesus. He builds a team of 12. He also builds a larger team of 70. And they have roles. How do we know they have roles? Well, one of the ways we know they had roles is later we find out Judas, the betrayer, was the treasurer. That's a clear title. That's a role. He wasn't good for the role, but he had a role. And there's efficiency and there's organization in having defined roles and really responsibilities. And such as the feeding of the 5,000, when he fed the 5,000, he had the disciples go put everybody in groups. So it's more efficient. I don't know, I don't just kind of have a mass of humanity, just kind of throw it out there. No. We have, we have groups in this church. We have young at heart. We have teens. We have, because you can actually have like conversations and opportunities to kind of build people up with where they're at in that sphere of life and things. That, but you also have the larger settings like this where Jesus would teach the multitudes. So we see they're both part of the strategy of God in reaching people and training and discipling. When they rowed across the Sea of Galilee, they did so as a team. They were a team of rowers. When he sent them to evangelize, he sent them in smaller teams of two by two. One can be sharing while the other is praying. One could be feeling not so great, the other one takes the lead. One could be tired, the other one's not. Sent them out in two by two. One could be really fluent in one language, one may not be. All of these different things, it's more valuable to actually have these teams of two. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, this passage is used a lot of times in marriage conferences and discipleship with marriage, but, but it's good in any setting where God says, Look, that anytime two become one, they're stronger, your marriage. Uh, you add a third in there, and it can even be a stronger cord in the sense of... Um, you know, a family that starts out with a, a mom and dad, they start to have kids. They actually, if their kids are following the Lord, they can become v 
very, very effective as a family and do far more than just two people can do. There's greater strength than two, and a team can always do more than the individual. Uh, those of you that served in the military are familiar with the phrase, two is one and one is none. I think Scott referenced it a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night here. And so you would, you would hear that term, those of you that spent time serving in the military. Uh, now, obviously, one can do a lot of good, but, can, but two can do far more. One can do some good, for sure, but two can do more. And so there's support if the one slips, the other one can grab. Uh, we're yoked to Christ. He says his yoke is, is light. But we're nonetheless yoked to Christ because Christ never slips. Ever. You're yoked to him, you, you can't go down. But he yokes us together as well with one another. He yokes us together. I had a really good theological discussion with another pastor this week. We were talking about what it means to be equally yoked and why, like, even in a team of two by two, he sent apostles together. He didn't send an apostle and some junior rookie. Now, there is a place for that apprenticeship, that's discipleship, but when it came for the mission of going to evangelize, he sent two mature men together. And so there's an equal yoking there and, and things like that. But nevertheless, I'm off the track for a second. We're yoked to Christ, but he yokes us together for a teeming purpose. Me and my wife are yoked together for teaming. You and your spouse are. But so are we in ministry capacities as well. A look at the animal kingdom uh, gives us a clearer picture. Uh, a horse is very powerful. Would you guys agree with that? A horse is very powerful. Beautiful creatures, but powerful. Uh, it's why we still use the term horsepower even today when we describe engines. I, there's no horses in my car. But we use the term horsepower even today to describe engine strength. Uh, but two or three or four horses put together and you team them, and the strength is exponential as you begin to put more of their strength together. Now, a, a draft horse uh, like a Clydesdale or a Belgian can typically pull one and a half to two times their own body weight in a dead weight pull. I'm talking about no wheels, just a slab. You put a massive slab that weighs the same as them, they can pull it. Or even one and a half or two times their weight for a certain distance, dead weight. You know, dead weight is dragging somebody, right? They're not on wheels. They're not on a stretcher. Paramedics come out. They put you on a stretcher. You're no problem. Without a stretcher, you're a problem, <laughs> right? So, but they can drag this dead weight one and a half to two times their body weight. Uh, put, a, put, a, uh, put two similar size together, and they can pull automatically about three times their weight, their combined weight. Just put two of them together, and they automatically can do about three times their weight with no kind of um, chemistry together or anything. But when they are trained as a team, they can do even more than that. A Belgian and a Percheron... Uh, I don't know if I said that right, but they were trained together with, and they had a combined weight of 3,600 pounds. They pulled, uh, pulled 14,600 pounds of dead weight for 15 feet. That's four times their weight. Four times their weight. They can't do that individually, but trained as a team, they can do four times their own body weight. Now, then you introduce wheels to the equation which reduces friction, and a powerful team can do exponentially more, right? 
So the same two horses, you put, put the same weight on wheels, and you can start to pile the weight up. That's why you see these old-time pictures of horses. The logs are piled up like to the sky, and they're pulling them because they put them on wheels, and then they can pull even more weight. Uh, and that combines the wheels plus the unity and the training. That is strategic, right? That's strategy. That's putting together to say, hey, we can, we can do this if we do it the right way and follow these processes of getting them trained, getting them together, teaming them, adding wheels, which is akin to us committing to the work together when we think of strategy, not as lone rangers. That you and I are not to be lone rangers, but under the strategic benefit of following defeat-proof guidance from the Scriptures. Defeat-proof guidance from the Scriptures and the priorities of the Scriptures which, spiritually speaking, allows us to move more weight and ministry challenges uphill. Because, we, as we said at the outset, the enemy fights against just about everything, right? So moving weight uphill is not easy. You're going to need the wheels. You're going to need the teaming. You're going to need the added strength. All of this is, and Jesus is saying, you're going to need to work together, come together. And we're not going against gravity, spiritually speaking, or headwinds, spiritually speaking. Uh, no, we're going against the opposition of our own weaknesses, our own flesh, and the attacks of the enemy. That's our headwind. That's our gravity that we're going against. And the enemy opposes us with every single step of faith, every bit of obedience, all the commitments to the work of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. Um, one thing I, I'll throw out, um, one thing you can be praying for me and us about is we, we've definitely reached the point, we are probably there yesterday, we've definitely reached the point that, that we need to bring on a second full-time ministry person to serve with me. And probably, now in the spirit, I can, I can lift one and a half times my weight, spiritually speaking, and maybe sometimes 1.75 if on a lucky day, but uh, it's God's grace. It's always God's grace. But with teaming, 4X is possible. Amen. And so that's something you can be praying. Say, Lord, we need, we need to see, we've already reached kind of critical mass of moving to that next step. And so the two-by-two two will be just as applicable in the ministry at large as it is in any other uh, facet of your life or my life or the various ministries that we have taking place. One of the things we started a couple of years ago, we really desired as often as possible for each ministry team to have either an assistant or a group of assistants so it's not falling on one individual. So we are able to more effectively serve, whether it's high school age or whether it's children or whether it's worship team or sound, sound booth, all of those things. We've been doing that throughout. And we always need to kind of revisit that and see where do we need to kind of add pockets of help to different teams. We'll look at that more several weeks out in our ministry Sunday. But uh, just wanted to just say, again, we need to be praying, Lord, fill all those things because that allows us to reach more people for Jesus, minister to more people. Faith takes courage, and having teams builds courage because you say, I'm not alone. I was reading, uh, I was reading this little book. Um, uh, it's called Make Your Bed. I don't know if you guys have ever. It's a New York Times bestseller. But uh, Admiral William McRaven, he was a former Navy SEAL, um, had an incredible dedicated career as a Navy SEAL, and then went on to be an admiral, but he was talking about uh, the week of the SEAL training. It's called Hell Week, 
uh, when they are nearly just kind of driven into the, you know, uh, their mind just doing crazy stuff that defies what uh, you can do and swimming in pitch black darkness of cold and you've got to get all the way underwater across the harbor and all these other things. But one of the things he was talking about in, in uh, that particular week, he said that uh, they, were, they had swam a long ways. They were up to here in mud, and it was freezing cold. The wind was howling off the Pacific, and every single one of them, they had only had like a couple hours sleep that week, and they were down to like zero strength, hanging by a thread. Their minds going, uh, their bodies going. They just, and the instructors were tempting them with chicken soup and fires to quit because they want to weed out the weak. They need people, if they're not going to go full in, they need to be weeded out. And so one guy was about to pull out of the mud. He couldn't take any longer. And someone grabbed him. And suddenly another, he said, above the howl of the wind came a voice singing. It was tired. It was raspy. But soon, the one that was about to walk, get out, and couldn't take anymore, stayed and started singing. And they started singing. We, we talked about singing last week, by the way. This were teamwork and faith and singing. All these things come together. They started singing and because they were singing, they weren't singing a Christian song either, by the way, but they were singing, and, uh, and they all stayed in the mud and survived by locking arms together, singing, and it made them forget the cold, the fatigue, the dying they were feeling, and all of that, and none of them gave up that night, wow. not a single one. But had they not bonded together, that wouldn't have happened. And so it just underscores how important teamwork is, and the, the more we work together as a team, the more we genuinely care about the larger team. And I, like, again, I, I pray, yesterday I was praying for like 10 other churches, different pastors. I was texting, hey, I'm praying for you. That I have a team that's outside of this team, but then this team is the team I'm called to, but yet you care about the others as well, because we're all part of one global team of Jesus Christ, right? We're reaching the world, and we start to care more about the work that other people are doing in other ministry areas. Hey, how can I help you? How can I lend a hand? And it becomes an effective work. And we'll kind of wrap up with just these last two couple of things here. Um, Ephesians 4, 16, whom the whole body joined. We read that earlier together. I, you guys did great reading that paragraph, and I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but just looking at the things, we're joined and knit together. We have to, we have to be intentional and say, Lord, I want to get knitted together. I, I need to I find my place on the wall where I can be serving, get connected to people. For the effective working, it's the effective working of the ministry of Jesus to reach a lost and dying world. And like I said, everything counts. Someone who's cutting the grass is helping what's going on. Someone who is working, you know, as an usher or a parking lot or all these different things. But in your own home, uh, dads, you have a role. Mom, you have a role. And it should be complementary, complementing one another. No one's meant to do everything. It's one of the major problems. I said, I said I lo we love single moms. But the fact that our, our nation's number one in the world now in single parents is a major issue. Imagine you have to do every single thing. I, there was times where my mom was a single mom, and I know that's brutally hard. It's not meant to be that way. It's not meant to be that way in the body of Christ. And But when it is, because there were a lot of widows in the early church, we have to come and say, we'll be part of your support. We'll be part of your support network. We'll be part of helping you accomplish the things that Jesus wants you to do. And so it's all 
this, but it's, it has to be love. It can't be just about checking the box. It has to be really love. He says, for the edifying itself in love. Paul said, if we have not love, we have what? Nothing. It has to be love. It has to be agape love. Second Thessalonians 1.3, we read that as well. We thank God because your faith grows exceedingly. And there it is again, the love of each and every one of you abounds towards all. If, if I don't serve as a pastor out of love, I would have quit a long time ago. It has to be out of love. It can't be, can't be for anything. It has to be love for Jesus and love for people. Love for Jesus, love for people. Whatever you serve in as a parent in a ministry area has to be a love for Jesus and a love for people. Remember the two commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. That's the way it always works that way. But then you say, all right, I believe that I need to do it in love. But then, Lord, help me to do it by faith and help me to be strategic, to follow your guidelines, because it will work. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that two by two will work? Jesus says it does. It's, it's better. It's more effective that way. And just as faith grows and builds faith, love grows too and builds more love, and it expands with the submission to God's will. And I want to close with something practical. Um, last things I want to just... This is something practical that I hope uh, illustrates that part of our building teamwork is not some, it's not some manual that you kind of fill in these little blanks and you got it. Teamwork is always about people. Amen? Teamwork is about people, especially in the work of Jesus. Let me say this. One of the best things that, that I can do to build a team is not only to talk about the ministry mission of that team not constantly drone about the ministry mission of that team, though it's essential that in teamwork we must talk about the ministry focus of the team, but not only talk about the ministry focus of the team in any respect. It's, an, it's not an either or, but it's a both and. Relationships and harmony matter, while focus strategy and diligent commitment equally matter. Does that make sense? The relationship part matters, but the strategy that you have to work out, the kind of the meetings and the conference table type stuff, that matters too. But we need laughter alongside labor. Yes. Yes. You have to have both in a good, healthy family and a good, healthy relationship. And I hope this kind of brings the point home as I close with this. Think of it as a fruitful marriage and family. Should every marital conversation and interaction be about the marriage? No. About discipleship? No. About addressing every known flaw and issue? No. That would be not good for the health. Of course not. Should those discussions and focus be part of a healthy marriage? Yes, absolutely. They should be part of a healthy marriage. Um, but the need to live and the need to love and the need to laugh outside of those elements are essential. Sometimes going on a date and the discussion of all the things we need to get done should be off limits for the health of the marriage. To say, we're tabling all that tonight. None of that is on the table tonight. That actually builds the relationship so you can go back and solve those things, but you've got to table all that someday. Jesus was never in a hurry with building. He could have, oh, we're going to get this done in three days. No, three years with those men. Three years building the relationships too. Uh, but then... You schedule a time to discuss the important spiritual matters, whether it's a ministry area or relationship. And you pray and you plan and you address the needs. 
there's a needed balance. There's a needed balance of just being together and being present. Just being together and being present. Not always trying to solve something. Nothing to orchestrate. Just being around. Great teams get to know each other, and they're not always in problem-solving mode. Not always. Being around one another and having fellowship and friendship and conversation and insincerity, sharing a meal together, that kind of stuff. It has to be authentic. has to be genuine. And understand, to use a sports team analogy, familiarity, unity, continuity, trust, relationships, even conflict, because sometimes there's those messy middles we talked about, and along with some coordinated practice time and game time gets us ready for the mission because the relationship part is strong, but also the diagnosis part, how are we going to do it, is strong. The practice, the meals, again, stay with the sports analogy here, the practice, the meals, the bus rides. You guys remember that back in high school? The bus rides. There's no chalkboard in this thing. You're just laughing about nothing. You're eating nerds and stuff. You know, that's the kind of stuff you're doing on the bus ride. You know, that, you're doing this, and you're just, this is the bus ride. Uh, the impromptu karaoke, especially girls' teams. You know, they, they'll just be singing. The coach is like, I can't even take it anymore, you know. Uh, getting taped up, the film room, the chalkboard, the weight room, these are all more important in some respects than the game because this gets people connected and tight for the game. And all of that unifies us as well as our personal diligence, and it readies us for the game. And all this starts in our homes and dads and moms. It's time for you to build the team and the, and the family. you got to spend time together. It's time to love on each other and coach up the team. And need uh, the same as we build relationships and serve together in ministry areas. One of our recent elder deacon meetings, uh, you know, and we had the wife. I didn't cover anything ministry related. I just said, I want to hear about your favorite vacation. I want to hear about this. I, no, sometimes you just get to know people yeah. and build those things. And we need to do that more and more. I think we do well, but God says we can go a lot further. We can be more authentic in this. It can be more a work of the Spirit. If we don't genuinely care for one another, then we can't care for the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. You believe that? If we don't genuinely care for one another, then the world will know it's fake. It's just, a, it's just a scheme. It's just a process. It's just, it has to be more than that. I'll close with this and bow our heads. Take the daily steps. Take the bold steps. Don't go alone. Go together. Invest in others and do it in love. Be humble. Be coachable. Someone asks you to pray about it. That's being coachable. Expect the exponential teamwork of God. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just bow before you now once again, and we know that you have a desire to build a unified body of Christ that takes steps of faith, that loves one another with an authentic love, but, Lord, ultimately has a love to reach the whole world with the living gospel. But, Lord, all of the other things that need to take place, uh, sharing a meal together, getting to know one another, asking questions of each other's lives. Lord, all of these things are necessary to build the family of God into an effective team 
And Lord, that we understand the importance of not going alone, but going two by two. And, and whether that's in our home life or in the body of Christ, Lord, that you're going to bless that we serve Christ together. And we grow in faith and we grow in love. For this is the desire that you have for every disciple. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.